0: everybody episode 658 of first class fatherhood a family made media podcast and i have the absolute honor of welcoming gold star father george monsoor to the podcast today george monsoor is the father of navy seal medal of honor recipient michael monsoor on September 29th of 2006, Mike Monsoor sacrificed his life by jumping on a grenade to save his teammates in Iraq. Mike Monsoor is also the recipient of the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, and the Purple Heart. In addition to receiving the Medal of Honor posthumously, George Monsoor has a new book that's out right now, Defend Us in Battle, the true story of MA2 Navy SEAL Medal of Honor recipient Michael A. Monsoor. You can find the link to the book in the description of today's podcast episode. I highly encourage everybody uh, to check it out, learn the story about Mike Monsoor. George Monsoor himself is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. I know now that we are past Election Day here, all eyes turn towards Veterans Day and remembering the veterans uh, who fight for our freedom in this country and around the world. George Monsoor and his wife received the Medal of Honor from President George Bush, I'm going to play right now for you guys the Medal of Honor citation that was read at the presentation so that you guys get a better idea of who Michael Monsoor was and what he did. Take a listen.
1: The President of the United States, in the name of the Congress, takes pride in presenting the Medal of Honor posthumously to Master at Arms, Second Class, Sea, Air, and Land, Michael A. Monsoor, United States Navy for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life, above and beyond the call of duty, while serving as Automatic Weapons Gunner for Naval Special Warfare Task Group Arabian Peninsula in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom on 29 September 2006. As a member of a combined SEAL and Iraqi Army sniper overwatch element, Tasked with providing early warning and standoff protection from a rooftop in an insurgent held sector of ar Ramadi, Iraq, Petty Officer Mansour distinguished himself by his exceptional bravery in the face of grave danger. In the early morning, insurgents prepared to execute a coordinated attack by reconnoitering the area around the element's position. Element snipers thwarted the enemy's initial attempt by eliminating two insurgents. The enemy continued to assault the element, engaging them with a rocket-propelled grenade and small arms fire. As enemy activity increased, Petty Officer Mansoor took position with his machine gun between two teammates on an outcropping of the roof. While the SEALs vigilantly watched for enemy activity, an insurgent threw a hand grenade from an unseen location, which bounced off Petty Officer Mansoor's chest and landed in front of him. Although only he could have escaped the blast, Petty Officer Mansoor chose instead to protect his teammates. Instantly, and without regard for his own safety, he threw himself onto the grenade to absorb the force of the explosion with his body, saving the lives of his two teammates. By his undaunted courage, fighting spirit, and unwavering devotion to duty in the face of certain death, Petty Officer Mansoor gallantly gave his life for his country, Thereby reflecting great credit upon himself and upholding the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service.
0: I don't know about you guys, I get chills every time I watch this ceremony. You could see it on YouTube. You could see President Bush get choked up as he is talking about Mike Monsoor, a American hero. And let's never forget, guys, that we wouldn't stand a chance in this world without the men and women of our military, of our armed forces. You guys know how much I love, admire, and respect our Navy SEALs, I've had so many of them on the podcast here, including quite a few that had served with Mike Monsoor, including uh, Jocko Willink, J.P. Donnell, and Kevin Lace, just to name a few. Mike Monsoor's story is one that reminds us that our freedom is not free. And let's not forget that we live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth, and we have it for a reason, and it's because of men like Mike Monsoor. And we owe everything to men like George Monsoor, who have literally given everything for this country. So I am absolutely honored to have George Monsoor on the podcast today. He will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with George Monsoor was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between the Gold Star Father and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, I have had a couple of other Gold Star dads on the podcast. They're available in the archives of the podcast. Uh, Both also dads of Navy SEALs who died in action. Larry Brown joined me on the podcast. He is the Gold Star father of Navy SEAL Team 6 Operator Adam Brown. And Billy Vaughn, the Gold Star father of Navy SEAL Team 6 Operator Aaron Vaughn, who died on extortion 17. Also join me here on the podcast. You'll find those interviews available in the archives of the show. And don't forget right now, my partnership with MyPillow is back on and active. Don't miss out on the savings as we roll towards the holiday season here. The MyPillow itself is the lowest price it's ever been. Uh, So are several items over on MyPillow.com. They are overstocked over there and you can benefit. Go to MyPillow.com, plug in the promo code FATHERHOOD. You're going to save up to 66% off. You have got to try the mattress topper. I'm telling you right now, it's a guarantee if you get this topper, you're never going to want to sleep on a mattress that don't have it. The mattress topper has been the best thing that I've gotten from My Pillow. I enjoy all their products, but the mattress topper blows away any other sleeping surface I've ever been on. I'm telling you the truth. Get the MyPillow, get the dream sheets, get the towels, the bathrobes, the whole bit, all good quality products. Nothing is better than that mattress topper, I'm telling you right now. So get over to MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD at the checkout, save up to 66% on your order, get some of your Christmas shopping done early, and get it done at MyPillow.com. And follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Ace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. If you have the opportunity, please help me spread the word about the podcast every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You know, every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with Gold Star Father, George Monsoor on First Class (coughs) Fatherhood. Joining me now, first class father George Mansoor. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
2: Thank you. It's a, it's a kind of an honor with well, all the people you've had on your show.
0: Well, listen, this is really is truly an honor for me. So I'm, I'm honored to have you on the podcast. Let's start like this: How many kids do you have? How old are they?
2: Uh, we had four. We had a daughter. Uh, she's 42 as son I have a son, uh, have a son uh, James my daughter was Sarah James 41 and uh, Michael uh, would have been uh, would have been a rough uh, sure how old he would have been I have stopped keeping track uh, probably about 40 and then there was my youngest son uh, Joseph who's uh, 37
0: yeah and, and obviously uh, you talked Obviously, George, we're talking about, you You know, your son, uh, my American hero, uh, Michael Monsoor. We're going to touch on him in just a minute, as well as your book. I got a copy of uh, Defend Us in Battle right here. We're going to jump into that in just a second. But if you could, George, please just take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background, if
2: you could. Uh, I was in the uh, Marine Corps uh, when in, in 1968, I was in helicopters. After the uh, service, uh, went back to school, uh, studied business. Um, I started opening up business, started off the uh, contracting business, uh, I bought a store for my uh, sister who was having some problems, and we ended up building uh, five women's stores and uh, started manufacturing clothes uh, bought a restaurant, three hundred seat restaurant, and then uh, a little property and had a couple of racehorses and made money and lost money. That's kind of, uh, what I've been doing.
0: Yeah. I- I've I- done I- the same. I-, I didn't own any racehorses, but I-, I grew up going to the track. So I- I've made money and lost a ton on them as well throughout my life. I can say, t- I can assure you of that.
2: Yeah. I won a, uh, a $630, 000, uh, $630,000, a pick six, uh, 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 one day. And, and, um, I remember the guy goes, well, how do you feel? And I says, well, if I win a couple more of these, I'll break even. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that, that that's a true gambler answer right there for sure. So uh, take take me back if you could then, George, to the beginning of your fatherhood journey then about, about how old were you when you first became a father and how did that experience change your perspective on life?
2: Uh, we were married for about uh, five years before we had any children. I I really didn't want to have any children. Uh, We were doing just fine. My wife was teaching at a junior college. I had my businesses. And uh, it was uh, just something that uh, really caught me off guard. And we had the first child, Sarah. Uh, I just fell in love. I couldn't have been happier. Uh, I was just... I was just thrilled having this daughter, and I, I just, I could feel myself changing. Uh, I went from somebody who didn't believe in much of anything other than uh, his businesses, and uh, it's just like, it was like I was just hit uh, with a whole different feeling. And I remember uh, telling my wife, you know, maybe a family is, would be a good thing. And then, as you can tell by the other children, we started having, uh, we had three more. Although the girl was so nice and clean and smart. The boys, not so much. <laughs> well, you got your girl
0: right off the bat there to start with. We we have I have the opposite of you. I have three boys, and then we got our girl on the fourth try. So we finally got her uh, at, at the end. But I'm right there with you w- with the four kids. Now, obviously – uh your your son Michael you know is an American history I an mean, American hero Medal of Honor recipient but what was he like a, as a child growing up what could you tell us about him as a kid and when we when did you first become aware that he was interested in in trying to become a Navy SEAL
2: Uh Michael was the most difficult uh he was uh he had a lot of health problems and uh even with his health problems he was just a uh, free spirit uh, he, uh, had asthma so bad that, uh, we literally would, uh, would take turns checking on him at night. We were so, uh, afraid of him not being able to breathe. And there were times where we would rush him to the hospital. So he, uh, he was, he was pretty frail and he was small. And, uh, he was always trying to keep up with his, uh, his, uh, his family, his brother, sisters, sister. And, uh, he just, it was just difficult for him, but he never would stop. I mean, if, uh, I remember he wanted to swim with them and, uh, he couldn't swim and he literally climbed over the fence one day and, uh, got into the pool just to practice, to be able to keep up with them by just holding the side of the pool. He was in there all by himself. He would do these things. Uh, like I said, he was a free spirit and, uh, He uh, just always seemed to figure out a way. And I think what made him uh, so different as he grew up, it was constant bullying uh, in school. And it really affected him. And it made him very strong, very strong mentally. And uh, he started resisting the the bullies. uh, Probably when he was uh, eight, nine years old, he would just start fighting back. And he just grew stronger and stronger and uh i i wasn't sure we never spoke of the military um it was kind of interesting we never talked about the military yet my other two sons joined the marine corps and michael uh joined the uh the navy and uh he just never mentioned it but he said he had been thinking about it uh you know for years when it, especially when he got into junior high he started thinking about it but uh he was afraid that he wouldn't be healthy enough And, uh, it's something that he worked on and worked on and worked on. And when he was determined, uh, he was going to do it.
0: It, It's incredible, George. And thank you for your service as well. But it's just from, just from interviewing so many different Navy SEALs, the pipeline to get through that training, as we know now, now there's so much written about what goes on there. Just the improbability of people making it through there. The attrition rate is so tremendously high and so hard to get through. So to hear, uh, Michael, with some of the struggles with asthma, uh, going through and making it through there is, is unbelievable that, that he could pull that off. And one thing, and I just bringing it back real quick, uh, you know, Defend This in Battle, the new book that you have out and available about Michael's life. I didn't know just from reading the book, I didn't know that he uh, that he quit. Uh, Bud's training and that he rang the infamous bell three times to quit and walk away and i can only imagine going through where he came through to get to that point how discouraging that must have been what what was he like what was his attitude like what what was mike like uh, during that period where he dropped out of the training before he got a chance to go back and obviously make it through the pipeline
2: yeah he uh would he would come home on the weekends and uh I remember uh, he had his uh, socks on in the kitchen, and I looked down, and the, the whole kitchen is covered in bloody uh, footprints. What he had done was he didn't protect his uh, his feet uh, with all that sand, and they had just been it's like sandpaper, and his he was just a mess, and he broke some bones in his in his uh, in his foot, and uh, I, I said how long can you do this? And he says, you know, I'm not going to quit. And so, uh, he kept going, but eventually he just couldn't run anymore. And when he came back to tell me, uh, I mean, he was just brokenhearted and, uh, it took him a while just to get it out. And then the next day he says to me, uh, a little bit brighter. He says, uh, by the way, uh, I'm not going to quit this. And he immediately uh, figured out a way to get back in and give it another try. And he worked out for it a little wiser in the way he took care of his uh, boots, keeping the sand out. And uh, he, got, he got what he want, wanted uh, just from determination.
0: Uh, a truly amazing story, too, and obviously, all captured in the book, Defend us in battle what walk me through a little bit of that for you? I mean, I can only imagine it has to be difficult to go through this and also joyous at the same time. What were some of the some of the difficult moments to get through and some of the joyous ones for you to get through while writing the book and telling the story of your son Michael? Uh,
2: well, the hardest part was at the end so we didn't uh, actually we didn't dwell that much on Michael. Uh, we talked about the guys um, that he was with uh, and what they had to go through to get to get out of them, out of what happened. Uh, the good parts was me thinking of him when he was a child. Uh, he was uh, he was hooked on on uh, speed and probably my fault because I had a, a GTO at the time. And, uh, he would love getting into that GTO and have me go through those gears. And he thought we were going 100 miles an hour. And, uh, because I would quickly, when I would shift, you could feel, uh, feel the rush. You know, it was going about half that speed, but he loved it. And, uh, the adrenaline and the smile. And there was a song at the time, uh, My Little GTO. He literally memorized that song would get into the car, just a little guy smiling, uh, holding on to the little um, handle over the glove box, big smile on his face. He'd always put the windows down so he could just feel the air go, you know, go past us. And uh, it was just it just would make his day getting in something. He loved to be moving and he loved speed. And uh, that was just always just beautiful when you get in there with me. Also, when I saw him stand up to uh, some bullies, he's very young, maybe nine years old. And uh, these bullies were at uh, a park and um, they were pushing all the kids around. They were probably in junior high and they were just, you know, there's some people they just enjoy uh, bullying uh, people. People don't fight back. And uh, anyway, they they push Michael off the uh, off the swing. And all the kids off the swing. And they just kind of took over. And uh, I didn't quite know what was going on. I called them over. We happened to be at at, uh, at a racetrack. Because I was looking uh, at a horse that I was going to buy. And uh, tears running down. And he knew um, that it was just wrong. And uh, I says, look, we're going to watch this horse race. And we're going to go home. And the whole time. I could see his little mind working and working and working. And uh, after the race, I said, I mean, "We'll talk to the trainer and uh, just stay here." Well, we're kind of on the balcony talking, and Michael, I look over and he's down, going back to that uh, play area. He goes over there, and uh, the play area had—I don't know if you've ever seen them—they had these like rocket chips, and they have slides. Uh, as you climb up and slide down, you climb up and slide down. What he did was uh, he pushed all those guys off the swings. He went in the back and pushed them off, and uh, they chased after him. He went up into this rocket ship, and he would hold them off. When they were trying to climb up, he would be kicking them, kicking sand in their face, and he got them where they were all backed up the three guys, and they were trying to get to him, but they couldn't get through because he was stopping him uh, going to the next level. And when he couldn't hold them off any longer, he jumps on the slide, and off he goes. Down the slide he goes. By then, I'm down on the ground, and he's just running uh, for dear life with a huge smile on his face. And those guys are trying to catch him. They got to me, or Michael got to me, and it was just too late. And he grinned all the way home.
0: <laughs> I I love that George. And I know just just from having the opportunity to speak with some of the men that served with him, uh, uh, Jocko Willing, Kevin Lace, uh, JP uh, uh, Donnell, uh These guys he left such an impression on these guys. Obviously, uh, you know they, they all loved him and they all speak so highly of the man he was. Uh, as just not only just as a teammate, but as a person. And I know a lot of that comes from uh, the way he was raised and the fact that uh, you know you're a first class father as well. And and I'll tell you what, one thing that drives me nuts in this country right now, George, is that patriotism is looked so down upon by so many people in our country. And I think we need more stories like this, like Michael's to be told, because uh, we, he's the ultimate living example of that freedom is not free and that so many people have sacrificed uh, so much for the country and the freedoms that we do have. And so what, what do you hope that people will uh, get from this book, Defend This in Battle? And who do you hope gets a chance to read it?
2: Well, I would like to have, uh, some, uh, younger people read it, uh, because I know you're a kid and, uh, you, things don't go right for you and you, you sometimes you want to give up or blame other people. And I'm hoping that they see that the strength in Michael that, uh, he had a tough time and, uh, he was bullied in school and, uh, but he never quit. Uh, in fact, he wrote that right over. Uh, he was in the bunk bed, and so he was on the bottom. He literally wrote that message. He woke up every morning, seeing, "Never quit." He was always determined. And for a young guy reading this, I, I hope he realizes uh, that you will get you'll you'll get older, you'll get stronger, you'll get smarter, and uh, you can't just let people take advantage of, advantage of you. Uh, and I hope also they'll realize uh how much Michael loved this country, and it's a great country, and it's unfortunate that um, people are getting the wrong messages and uh, hopefully uh, they will realize you know this country obviously uh isn't perfect, but it's the best country in this in this world. Uh, we have so many freedoms, and for those freedoms, there are obligations. And that's why our citizens should understand that, it, like you said, it's not free.
0: Yeah, very well said. And obviously, Michael laid down his life for his friends. And our, and our Bible, the Bible tells us that, uh, you know, th- there is no greater love than this. Uh, was faith a big part of Michael's life? Was it a big part of your life in, in raising your kids? And what would you say were the top values you hope to instill in them?
2: Uh, faith? uh Faith wasn't big in my life until I started having kids. I started realizing these were gifts, and they were special. And uh, I, I really started taking it pretty serious. In fact, I did take it serious. Because you can have children. Uh, it's a whole different deal. You're, you're responsible to get them ready for life. And I felt it was important that they understand there's something bigger than all of us out there. And uh, so uh, Michael, um, he was was pretty strong in his faith. And uh, he was the kind of guy that was pretty laid back about a lot of things. But um, he was always willing to uh, make the argument uh, that there was a God and there were just things in this world that uh, we should stand stand up for. Uh, And he just was one of those guys that's quiet most of the time, but if somebody wanted to challenge him to certain things uh, that he believed in, he definitely would uh, meet the challenge. He he is, uh, I don't know, just kind of this quiet guy unless, um, you know, he had to speak up. Uh, I tried to teach my kids um, critical thought. So they would understand and not be fools the rest of their lives. They had to understand when people make comments, when people say things, uh, you have to actually, if it's important to you, take the time to, to understand it and be critical about what you do. Because by the time you're in your 20s, you should have a pretty good idea of the man or the woman you want to be. And without critical thought, you'll just be everyone's fool. And that's kind of what I, what I was trying to teach them. And um, they did pretty good at it. The, my, my kids, and especially Michael, um, they figured out who they wanted to be. And they would take on any arguments once they formed uh, the way they want to live their life. And uh, I'm proud of all of them because they just really take the time to, to think. And a lot of people don't think. They just go along. And I didn't want uh, my children to just go along because somebody said something. And the other thing, uh, I remember my daughter says, why can't we just be happy all the time? All my friends' uh, parents want their kids to be happy all the time. And I said, happy is nice, but I need you to be good. Good is important. And she goes, well, isn't it the same? I go, no, with good, sometimes you're not going to be happy. If you do the right thing, sometimes it's going to hurt. Happy." It's just a bunch of lunatics running around thinking they're supposed to be happy all the time, and it'll be at other people's expense. But you can't have a society where everybody thinks they're supposed to be happy. If we had a society where people understood they should be good, it would make a huge difference. My kids were taught to be good, and uh, I'm sure they slip every once in a while, but that's what I wanted them to understand. Good is more important than just be happy.
0: Yeah, well, really great stuff, George. And yeah, God only knows our country would be in a much better position right now if that message uh, rang true to so many kids or so many, you know, young people growing up around the world today or around this country, at least. And I I, I watched it a few times, George. Uh, I'm sure it must have been just a paradox of of emotions for you. But the uh, Medal of Honor uh, presentation uh, to your son posthumously by President George Bush, I thought it was a great ceremony. Walk me through that a little bit. If you could, what was kind of going on uh, in your mind? What was that experience like for you and, and where do you keep the medal today?
2: Well, I have it. Uh, unfortunately we had an earthquake, um, a while ago and it fell off the wall and cracked the glass, but I have it and we're trying to repair the uh, the case, but I keep it here. And, uh it was uh, obviously it was a special day, but uh, for the family, um, I think it was kind of painful for us. Um, people say things, and I know they mean to, they mean well, but sometimes um, it's a uh, it's a little bit more than that. We've lost our son. My children lost their, their brother, and uh, it's it's uh, kind of a uh, it's kind of tough, really. And I remember we we're talking to uh, uh, President Bush, and, and he's telling us, um, "I know this is going to be emotional," and uh, we're we're in the Oval Office, and he says, so let, "You know, let's let's talk and get our, our tears out now," and uh, and uh, we've cried for a long time, so we didn't have a lot of tears left. But finally, we, we, when we go to the ceremony, uh, it was kind of uh, kind of funny. We look up and President Bush is crying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
2: unbelievable! <laughs> He's
0: hey, actually hey, a nice man. <laughs> and I, but, I know that, um, I could only imagine that from, I mean, it must've almost seemed like a second funeral at that point, just the way that everybody was honoring your son and doing all that. You have to kind of relive it over and over again as everyone's talking about him. But what, what would you say, how did your relationship with your other children, uh, did it change at all? What was, what was your experience like as a father with your other children, uh, since Michael gave his life for the country?
2: Yeah. Our, uh, our family is really tight. I mean, uh, we, uh, we we had no changes we always loved each other we always had we always took care of each other uh the biggest problem is you have this this void in your family this emptiness and uh it's something that's never filled uh you know we can talk about michael and still tear up about uh just you know some of the stuff and how much we miss him so um you know the family is good we're we love each other but you know we'll always miss them
0: yeah well said and, uh, what about what about as far as your do you still keep in touch with the with the navy seal community particularly the seals that michael saved that day are you still in touch with those guys
2: uh i see them when they have you know they had things for the boat ceremonies and, and that and uh uh we're pretty, we are pretty easy uh, with everyone. Uh, we're good with the community. I think we're good with the community. Uh, I called them up and, um, to ask them if they had stories to, uh, to share. And a lot of them shared a lot of stories. Uh, some of them were just personal. It was just going to be between uh, them and myself. But um, I think we're pretty good with the SEALs. Uh, I've never had a problem calling them up on the phone and having a conversation. And my wife uh, constantly worried about them. She worried about doug and uh, and Mike.' Uh, it, it's just uh, it's just one of those things where uh, I know she grew to uh, to really care for these guys, and uh, some of them you'd meet, and you know they're carrying a lot of uh, a lot of tough times being in war. A lot of people forget that. So, um, yeah, I think we're pretty good with the seals.
0: Well, I can tell you what, George, me and my family never forget uh, that we are blessed to have the sacrifice. There's so many families in this country that we wouldn't stand a chance in this world without you, without men like your son. So uh, thank you again for your service. And uh, really honored to be in a country that produced people like your son, Michael. So, uh, again, the book, Defend Us in Battle, available. Link is in the description of this podcast episode for my listeners. Highly encourage everybody. Everyone needs to read this and get just a sense of uh, the great men and women that do so much to keep us free in this country and around the world. So uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, George, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening?
2: Well, I would enjoy the ride. I know sometimes it's tough and you think it's uh, you're getting to the end, but um, it'll all work out. And uh, as long as you're patient and understand when you remember when you were a kid. And uh, I think a lot of fathers have to remember uh, they really should should make sure uh, take care of their wives. Your wife is like the center, the affection, love, and uh, you always have to take care of your wife, respect your wife, and let your children see that. Uh, you should have kind of a game plan with your wife uh, before you start working with your children. I had a little bit of a problem with mine. She thought I was a little hard on the kids or the boys, uh, and I, I asked her, I said, would well, you want to have men or do you want to have more girls? Because if you want to have men, I, I think we have to make these type of uh, uh, decisions. But um, I think a lot of guys, they want to take, uh, they take their sons or, or whatever, and uh, they really have to show a lot of respect for, uh, for their wife because it, it, it's important that their children respect the mom and the father, and the father sets the tone. So uh, it can be tough times. You guys will get over it. Uh, and uh, enjoy it, because it's really a beautiful thing, having a family. It just really is. You're old like me, and you see the kids move on. Uh, it's something that you really miss. Uh, thank goodness I've got grandchildren, so I can spoil them. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, very
0: well said. I really love the message. This has been such an honor for me. I got to say, George Monsoor, you're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood.
2: Thank you. I appreciate being on your show. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family-made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs six tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.